Hey, so welcome to whenever, wherever you're watching from. I hope your Thanksgiving was a lot of fun. You may still be sleeping off that turkey juice and whatever else you had, if you had turkey. I like ham, but hey, you know, happy weekend after Thanksgiving and all of that. Uh, we today are going to also release our talking element for today's message, and it's a fun one. And I'm not going to tell you what the surprise is, but you should really check that out. What we're also doing now is our podcasts that go along with the messages. We're also going to start releasing our talking element on, a, on the podcast as well. So if you want to go to our website or even go to Apple and type in, you know, Element Christian Church, you can get our podcast and get both of those things that go along so you can listen as well. Uh, as a reminder, and you know, just a few short weeks, it's going to be Christmas Eve, and we are going to do a 6 p.m. Christmas Eve service outside. Uh, even if we're still in the purple tier, it's still okay to be outside. We're going to be able to have you be able to be distanced, but we're going to do some Christmas songs and just have a lot of fun, hopefully being able to see one another again, since a lot of us haven't seen each other for a whole lot of this year. So we'd love to be able to do that. Uh, just a reminder, in the middle of the message, you're going to get a little slide that pops up, and that's just a little opportunity for you to take care of your kids, get some coffee, pause, answer the question. We want to be able to give you a moment to step out to kind of think through what's being said before we move on. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is it's called Uversion. Uh, you click on more and then events in Uversion. If you're in our local area, we will pop up by GPS. If you're not in our local area, you can type in the zip code 93455 and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. If you are so inclined, you can stand where you are for the reading of God's word. And this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and it says, is this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a God who so graciously gives your Spirit to us so that we can have a relationship with you and, you and you walk with us into all these new places in our lives. And so I ask today that we'd be a people who begin to understand what it means to be filled with your Spirit in relationship with you as we walk forward in this life. Amen. All right, so we are doing this short series to round out the year on the Holy Spirit and really all the ways that we misunderstand Him and what He does in our lives and the world around us. We are lovingly calling this series the third wheel because that's how most people treat the Spirit. Like He's that odd man out who just showed up to something we were doing and it's like, well, who brought that guy? What's going on with that? Uh, It's like we love hanging out with the Father, God, and Jesus the Son, but get all weird when the Holy Spirit shows up, like who brought that guy? And we forget that all the things that draw us to the Father and the Son are the same things that draw us to the Holy Spirit. And I think we relate to God, the Father, because of the term Father. We kind of get that. And we relate to Jesus with the term Son or because He has a name Jesus. But it's interesting, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, tells us that before we knew Jesus as Jesus or the Son, He was known as the Word. And maybe that nomenclature, if we only knew him as the word, might make it a little odd as well. Like when we come to the Spirit, we only know him defined as the Holy Spirit. 
And if we maybe we had a name for that that wasn't that, it might make more sense to us. But that's why we're going through this series, to understand that the Holy Spirit of God is a person, and He is God Himself, and He is part of that triune Godhead. That's what all these things are about, so we understand Him better. Now, in two weeks ago, in the message, we talked about spirit and what spirit is and kind of how cultures have defined it. And last week, we talked about who the Spirit is, what He does, how He applies all of Christ's work to our lives. And it's going to take us weeks to wrap our mind around this. And we're not really in the end going to have a full picture because, you know, we're human. And one day, maybe in eternity, we'll get a better picture of what that all looks like. Now, I think there's been a lot of damage done to how we speak about the Spirit. And that's really our fault today in the church because either we speak about the Holy Spirit like an over-the-top Richard Simmons workout video instructor, like he's going to bring jazzercise back, or we talk about him like we've squished him into the side of the Father and the Son. We claim to love him, but don't really talk about him and want him to show up. And part of this is that in our society, we've reduced everything to a commodity in some regard. We do that with the Spirit, and we've even done that with Jesus. Like, we say things like, do you, you have a round hole in your heart, and you've been trying to fill it with the square peg of sex, drugs, rock and roll, country music, cats, you know, whatever, but who knew Jesus is a round peg for the round hole in your heart, and we treat him like a product or a commodity of some sort, like your needs aren't being met? Well, there's Jesus. Put that peg into that hole. And we are starting to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We treat him like a commodity that God wants to give us this thing and that he's not a person to live in relationship with. Like we want to reduce God and all that he does to facts and figures and forces and procedures so we can control it, package it, manipulate it, and eventually sell it in a way that furthers our own agenda of what we want. And I hope this line of talking is going to make sense. I hope it's going to make sense to where we're going today with this, because I want to dispel a lot of the confusion about who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, I was uh, in our talking element last week. We had Kelly Borjas on, and she was kind of almost the impetus for this series on the Holy Spirit. And she said, I didn't ask you to do the whole series. I just asked you to do a blog. And I'm thinking, yeah, this would not just fit in a blog. It's got to be a whole series. But we have a society today that focuses so much on appearance and not substance. And many times when we speak about the spirit, we want the appearance of being spiritual, but not the substance of the relationship. We do this with so many things in the scriptures. I I was at a funeral the week I was writing this message, and a friend of mine's father had died, and there were different people sharing about this guy's life. And one of the people got up, and they took this metaphorical story that Jesus told and turned it into this whole theology where the angels came down and grabbed my friend's dad out of the grave and put him on their shoulders and paraded him into heaven. And my friend's dad was going around heaven going, I'm number one, Uh, like he won the game, and they're parading him around heaven like that. That is horrible theology. It's horrible theology because the truth is we didn't win the game. We're the ones who made everything lose. The game was like two million to zero, one second left fourth quarter. No way we were going to win. So what does Jesus do? He comes and he wins for us. He gives us his righteousness and takes our sin upon himself. We are a people, though, that so often tend to want to take what Jesus did and then make it into this little commodity that we can package to make ourselves feel better. The true substance of the gospel is that we are sinful and that God is good. And he sent Jesus to take care of our sin problem and draw us back to himself. We need to be a people who move towards substance, especially in relationship with the Spirit. 
And I get that certain things are fun. Facebook is fun. But I would even say before you even post on things like Facebook, ask yourself, is this appearance or is it substance? I don't know if you remember, uh, but years ago we had this president in America. He was called Richard Nixon. Now, I wasn't born when Richard Nixon was inaugurated to be president, uh, but a lot of people know about him because of all the stuff about Watergate and I'm not a crook and, and all that stuff. There was actually a book written about his presidency and coming to power in the 1960s called The Selling of the President. Now, they actually wrote this book for different presidential campaigns, and it was originally called The Making of a President. But when they got to Nixon, they decided to change the title because of the corruption in his administration. And they chose the title based on something that was a memo of one of Nixon's own speechwriters. And this is what the guy said. Remember, we have to be very clear on this point. The response of the electorate is to the image, not to the man. He says it's not the character that actually counts, it's what's projected. And if you have anything to understand about politics nowadays, still true. But it's not just politics, it's how the entire world functions. Someone was just honest about it. If you went back to, say, the 1850s, you would have two intellectual giants of the day. You would have, like, Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas. And if either one of those guys walked down the streets in America, nobody would recognize them, obviously because they're not on TV and it's a different time. But the way you would recognize people back then is by their ideas, by the things that they said, by their arguments. Now, again, it's a different time, but it's interesting how everything has so much changed. Because now, today, it's more about what you look like. Like, how many comments are made about Trump's hair or his orange skin or Michelle Obama in a dress? You see, in our society today, what you look like is controlled and projected. And the truth is, you can create beauty in a photograph, but you cannot create maturity. You cannot create real substance. And what people do, because we don't really want to surrender to the real God, is many times we start to create an experience that we call the spirit, and we substitute that for the maturity of what God calls us to in our lives in true and real surrender. All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 16. I think because of the focus in our culture today on appearance, knowing that's our reality, we don't like it. And so we start to say, we want authenticity in those we look up to. And the sad thing is, a lot of times we say that about people around us, but we don't want to be authentic many times ourselves. Most of us love surface conversations. I know I do. I like the chit-chat. Someone shows up and gets all serious in a conversation, and we're like, who brought Debbie Downer along? You know, we think so then authentic is someone who is spiritual and deep, like a, like a guru. And so we've got to go find a guru to teach us how to be authentic. And again, we misunderstand completely what spirit is, what spirit means, and who this Holy Spirit is. See, everyone today has a hunger for authentic. And I think God has placed that within us. And we instinctively know that our culture is currently running towards anything but what is really authentic. You look at actors today. They play these roles in movies or on TV shows, and people love the people that they play on TV. And yet, how many actors do you hear that say, oh, I'm not really like that character. I'm really a bad guy or a bad girl. I'm not like that you know, stuffy person on TV. But people like the people they play on TV, and that's why they like them, but they're nothing like them. And what happens is it filters down to us. And we see people act differently in these roles, and we start to do the same thing. Everything in our life becomes a role and not authentic reality, if that kind of makes sense. Many times, people walk around claiming to be spiritual as a society, but we are not really spiritual because we do not understand what that means. 
Jesus says this, John 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We talked about this last week. The Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures, makes them come alive to us, applies them to our lives. The Holy Spirit, because he is a person, part of what he does as he guides us into truth is he guides us to be an authentic people in our lives. And the truth that Jesus refers to here is the truth of the gospel, but it's also the authenticity that marks our lives. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not quench the Spirit, meaning don't stop what God's Spirit is trying to do in you when He leads you and guides you. Stop trying to make Him be quiet. Listen to what He says. The word quench means to suppress or to stifle. I would say stop deflecting where the Holy Spirit leads us. Do you know, a uh, hundred years ago, no one would have ever thought of writing a book called like Three Easy Steps to Being Filled with the Spirit, and yet those kind of books permeate Christian culture today. And on one hand, we have been so affected by our culture that we want to make everything a commodity, redu- reduce it to you know proper procedures, but on the other hand, trying to control everything is really what has created this hunger in us for authenticity. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as I said, there is so much to this. We are not going to get this in just a couple weeks. That's why it's got to be multiple weeks, actually two months by the time that we're done. And today we're going to look at this idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Like when Paul says that, what does that mean? Now, we're going to really focus on Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, but I want to start in verse 15 to give you the context of the passage that's going on here. So Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20, Paul says this, Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And I think that means trusting Christ, living in authenticity, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this text talks about something we all must come to deal with, and this is be filled with the Spirit. What does the Spirit do in us as He fills us? Unfortunately, Christian churches are so divided on what this actually means. When people say, oh, that's a Spirit-filled church, or that person needs to be filled with the Spirit, we cannot just throw our hands up in the air and walk away and go, oh, whatever that means, uh, who knows? Because what Paul does here is he very carefully says, be filled with the Spirit, and then he goes into to talk about some of his best teaching on marriage and raising children and how to have a relationship with your employer. Be filled with the Spirit. It's the implication that unless we are filled with the Spirit, we cannot do just the normal mundane things in our lives in a way that fully reflect who God is. We're never going to be authentic in how we live if we are not filled with the Spirit. And again, Christians are so polarized over the Spirit, so we've got to look at what it means to be filled by Him. And I love that in order to define it, the Spirit-filled, Paul talks about drunkenness. And I'm not saying this unless the, the shoe fits, but in order for him to use the analogy, people in that day would have had to understand drunkenness. Either they had been or they knew people who had been. And in many aspects of these things, you know, there is this, there's this reality that Paul is using to draw this distinction between what it means and what it doesn't mean. 
And before you get too excited, I am not saying you need to go get lit tonight. Oh, my pastor just said, I got to figure out what Paul's saying in Ephesians, raise another grass. No, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion, or the NIV says debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit. So what is the general condition that leads to this reckless indiscretion and what leads to a Spirit-filled condition? Now, Tim Keller defines it like this. The Spirit-filled life is a life of tremendous control, balance, discipline, and refinement. And the Spirit-filled life is also a life of tremendous stimulation. So right here, I'm going to do is I'm going to put a slide up. And this is where you get to take your moment to get coffee, take care of your kids, pause, ask some questions in the middle of this, just to take a moment before we dive into what this means. And here's my question, is what comes to mind for you when you hear people say, be filled with the Spirit? What does your mind go to? Is it something in your past that you saw? Is it something that is recent? What does your mind think when you hear, be filled with the Spirit? All right, so going into this, why does Paul talk about drunkenness then? And how does that relate? I am sure you're wondering about this and on pins and needles and like, I don't want to say something I hate or my family's not going to like. But, you know, what we have to understand is we're so confused about spirit anyway. There's a couple things at the outset. First off, Paul is not saying that you're not ever allowed to drink. Some people have taken that and ran that way with it. There's other people who talk about being drunk in the spirit at times. And, and, they totally misunderstand these verses as well. So we're going to talk about what this means, hopefully, without laying just our modern ideas all over it. Now, some people have said, based on a 21st century reading back into the text, that in this, in the Roman world, these Christians, where they live, there is nothing more characteristic than substance abuse. And so what they're saying is, oh, Paul said, you used to be addicted to this substance, now be filled with the Spirit. But that doesn't really work, because historically, that's not even accurate. It's much more likely in in context that Paul used these words because there's some similarities as well as dissimilarities between the state of drunkenness and the state of being filled with the Spirit. He's contrasting that. Again, don't freak out. Let me talk about all of this. Just listen to me and what I'm saying. Like in the book of Acts, the Spirit falls upon the apostles when they're in that room. And what do they do? They all go out and begin speaking of God's great mercy and His grace into all these tongues to the people who are around them. They're speaking the gospel for the very very first time. And what did everybody say when they saw them? It's the middle of the day. Why are these guys doing this? Why are they talking like this? These guys must be drunk. So what's the likeness with drunkenness and what's the non-likeness, the dissimilarity? Well, first off, the word drunk here that, that Paul uses, it actually means soaked or it means dominated by. What it does is has the idea that what makes you drunk is not how much alcohol you drink, but how much the alcohol has you, if that makes sense. Uh, there are some people who can have like 10 drinks and they never lose control. Never. They're like an Olympic athlete. They, they just keep going. Other people, you get like one beer in them and they are just over. The question is, what makes you drunk? Because it's technically not the amount of alcohol, it's the effect. How much does the alcohol have you? That's what drunkenness is. And then secondly, you have this word for reckless indiscretion or debauchery. The King James Version will use the word excess. And that literally means to be spilled out. Like there's a parable in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. And he goes to his father, asks his dad for the inheritance, which was very rude at the time. And his dad 
got all the money together, gave his son his inheritance, and it says the son ran off and squandered all of it on reckless living. And reckless living is that same word that's there. It means wasted, squandered. You are wasting all of your energy in something that gets you nowhere. It's like maybe you're at work and you got to go home, so you hop on a stationary exercise bike and say, I'm going to ride this all the way home. And you get nowhere because it's a stationary exercise bike. It's a life of inefficiency. So, how does that tell us anything about being filled with the Spirit? I am so glad you asked that question. First off, number one, being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of reckless indiscretion or debauchery or excess. Like if if this reckless indiscretion is about a wasted life, that means the life of being Spirit-filled is a life of control and refinement. There used to be this old kids game. Uh, I think it was called uh, Operation or something. And you got this little thing, and you got a guy on like an operating table, and he's got little holes in him, and he's got like a, a bone here and a heart here. And you have these metal tweezers, and you got to reach in and pull the bones out, and things, without touching the sides. You touch the sides, it goes, eh, and apparently you killed the guy. I don't know why you, why we make games like this for little kids. Oh, you just killed somebody in the operating table. You don't want to be a doctor, do you? But anyway, it's whenever I played this game, I'd be like, oh, I can get it, and the closer I got, the shakier I became. I'm not going to make it through the little hole to get the bone. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's in control. You, you go in, you get the bone, you can pull it back out. You're under control. And I know for a lot of people, that's the opposite of what they think being Spirit-filled means. A lot of people think being Spirit-filled means crazy. Paul goes out of his way to say that drunkenness is the contrast to being Spirit-filled. When drunk, you're dominated by alcohol. You're out of control. You're using all the energy in your life, but you're really getting nowhere. One writer says it like this. Unless your life is marked by refinement and balance, you have your time under control, your body under control, your tongue under control. You're using your gifts in such a way that you're seeing lots of fruit. You're not spirit-filled. And it's not saying we have to do all those things all the time. We're all still growing and moving, but that's the idea. It's not about high feelings or emotions. It's about being able to listen to God's Spirit as He leads us. And what does He lead us to do? To read the Scriptures, to understand who God is, to glorify God and deepen our relationship with Him. A drunk person, they act like they have all the time in the world. They got nowhere to be. They got nowhere to go. And they're always just squandering their energy. They try to do things they have no ability to do, like walk, touch their nose, keep their pants on, all these things. Keller translates it like this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that burns you out. It exhausts you and dissipates you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are some people today who feel like they have to be so busy doing spiritual things and they fill up their lives with so much stuff that they don't have time to do anything. The Bible says that's not motivated by the Spirit. God does not give us any more than we can actually do in a day or a week or a month. If we have more to do than we can actually get done, somebody, usually us, gave us more to do, but not the Spirit. And when I say this, I'm speaking to myself because I am typically always busy doing something. And we must sit down and be a people who ask, Spirit, what are you giving me to do? What are you calling me to do? And we look at the priorities of the Word of God and practically practice it. That, and it all doesn't mean we have an excuse to sit around and play Xbox all day in our underwear doing nothing. It's the idea that God gives us things to do. Uh, we are told that He has given us good works. He's prepared in advance for us to be able to do as we walk with Him and live with Him. 
Before we move on to the next thing, I also just want to say this, that there are a lot of Christians who run around today and they say that being spirit-filled means you're happy all the time. There is a huge difference between joy and happiness, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But there's a lot of people running around, they just say, oh, praise the Lord for this and praise the Lord for that, and they do that because they think that's spirit-filled. But many times those same people have a tendency to crash when they go home or they don't treat their loved ones who they're supposed to love the most the same way. There's an extreme case I read, uh, the story about. There's a guy and a a lady, they were married for three months, and the wife was killed in a car crash. And this guy is just devastated. And he attended a quote-unquote spirit-filled church. And the people in the church got a hold of this grieving husband, and they said, you got to praise God for this. you got to practice the victory. And I, re- and I read that story, and I was thinking, what in the world? When Job loses his family in these disasters, he tears his clothes, he rips his hair out, he pours dust on his head, he falls to the ground, he yells and he screams. And in Job 1.22, it says, in all this, Job did not sin. If some of these people saw what Job did, they'd say, oh, you're not being spirit-filled, you're not claiming the victory, you don't trust Christ enough. No, Job didn't disobey God. He cries out. He understands that God's in control and he wants to know why. And it's okay to go to God with all of our questions. I mean, this is the idea that forcing some type of emotion to always be up or down is not being spirit-filled. A life of spirit-filledness is this life of authenticity, where we are, this life of control. And i got to say that before I talk about what's next. So, number two, a life of being spirit-filled is also a life of stimulation. Now, to understand what spirit-filled means, you've got to realize that God is using Paul here to contrast drunkenness with being spirit-filled, those two things. When Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, what he's saying is what you get from the Spirit is what other people go to alcohol or drugs to get. So here's a question. Why functionally does somebody drink to excess? And I'm not talking about family patterns or psychology or things like that. Why do some people drink to be dominated? Well, some people drink in excess because they have problems and they don't want to face the problems. Some people drink to get courage. Sometimes alcohol is called liquid courage. You know, it centers certain centers in your brain get knocked out when you drink enough. Uh, Or you drink for vulnerability. Like I read this whole biography of different comedians who so many of them drink or do drugs before they go on stage because that way they don't have to go on stage alone. They take this partner with them called alcohol or drugs. Now, people who drink are typically more honest and vulnerable. They're more, quote-unquote, authentic. Like, oh, I love you, man, you know, when they're giving you a hug. Some people are so uptight, they get a few drinks in them, and they're all mush. They talk about their problems and their hurts and their past. Like, if they're all sober, they're wound tight enough to turn coal into diamonds. But People drink that way so they become more open. They become more vulnerable. Again, some people drink for courage. They drink for a meaning in life. But if you go to any book on pharmacology, you will see that alcohol is actually a depressant. It depresses certain things in our brain. So how does alcohol get you meaning or courage in life? By knocking out your awareness of reality and narrowing down your vision. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit means that the Spirit of God gives us meaning and courage and the ability to to be vulnerable, not by diminishing our vision, but by expanding it with the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone goes and they lose their job or they're losing their job in in a couple weeks because of COVID or something. Sometimes they go out and get drunk because they don't want to deal with the reality. Like, I don't want to look what tomorrow's going to bring. But what's the Spirit of God do? 
the Spirit of God comes along and he stimulates us to see the bigger view, that God is ultimately sovereign and in control and there is hope and life and, and grace. It's a picture of reality that's centered on Jesus. Some people have had some horrible things happen to them in their lives, and so they start to drink to shrink the monsters in their life. But what does the Spirit of God do? The Spirit of God will show us that the monsters we are so afraid of is tiny because He is the sovereign Lord of history who loves us and cares for us, and He is in charge of the monster. And it's, I'm not saying that you don't ever go to therapy or get some help or things like that, but the Spirit of God is showing us the larger part of reality that is there. And I'm not saying that people can't deal with their problems with alcohol or drugs because, quite honestly, throughout history, people have been doing that for a very long time. But the difference is alcohol and drugs, they wear off. But what we are told is the Spirit of God is eternal, and He works through truth. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is actually an exact parallel of Colossians chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You have these same four things in both of these verses, one from being filled with the Spirit and one from being filled with the word of Christ. And this is almost one of the most important interpretive principles you can ever see in the scriptures, especially to understand what it means to be spirit-filled. To be filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word is the same thing. This is kind of what we talked about last week, because what does the Spirit bring? He writes the scriptures and makes them come alive to us and applies them to our lives. And so to be dominated or saturated with the Spirit it, it so melts our understanding that we start to live our lives centered upon who Christ is. It brings us to an understanding of the truth because a life that is spirit-filled melts everything else away. Which leads to number three, a spirit-filled life is one of joy. And when I say joy, I want you to understand the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is deep and eternal and sits inside of us because we know ultimately that Jesus has won the victory and God cares for us as his people. The word to be filled is what's called a present progressive. That means it continues. It is impossible to stay drunk. I mean, we know some people try, but eventually you're going to fall asleep and you're going to start to come back up out of that. Don't be drunk. What that is, it's a tense that talks about a crisis or an event or a moment. And when Paul says be filled with the Spirit, it's a present progressive. It is an ongoing reality. And if our joy dissipates and goes away when things are going poorly, well, we haven't been really filled with the Spirit. We need to be reminded of what the Spirit does. Actually, Tim Keller asked this question. I think it's a great one. What does it tell if our focus of our joy is on the giver himself or on the things that he has given us? And he says, how you figure that out is how do you deal with unanswered prayer? You know, God, please make COVID go away. Please have it in. And then, you know, Nine, ten months later, it's still going on. How do we deal with unanswered prayer? If when your prayers aren't answered, do we say, I've had it, I'm done? Well, that means that we weren't really being spirit-filled and living in the Spirit. Jesus says this, John 16, 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one, uh, and no one will take your joy from you. This is the idea of when we become spirit-filled, when we follow Christ, we become impervious because who we are is based upon what Christ has done for us, the gospel. And that brings an eternal, unrelenting joy. 
See, the spirit-filled life is a life of that refinement, of authenticity, of control. And it's also a life where the spirit then stimulates us to the facts that we have an understanding about what he has done in the world and about who we are. It is not an emotional high. It's unremitting, unrelenting, steady kind of joy day in and day out. And that joy is not based upon what is happening to us, but who we are in him. Now, next time you're going to go a little bit deeper into what this means and, and what it talks about, but I just want you to kind of sit with that where we are today, what it means to truly be filled with the Spirit, because being filled with the Spirit is the only way that we're ever going to have true joy in our lives. See, being filled with the Spirit comes to the place of understanding like what I said last week, the, the true reality of what the gospel brings, our salvation, that our God has come to rescue us where we are. Jesus says that when, after I have died and risen from the grave, I am going to send you another counselor, another advocate, another helper to be with you in your lives. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of Christ's work, just like we do at Element every single week. This is why we, we encourage you, if you are so inclined to, take a cracker or a piece of bread and break that and have some wine or grape juice, just as a short little reminder of what Christ has done to rescue and save us. The Holy Spirit comes in and fills us in ways that reminds us of God's great grace given to us of our own rescue and salvation. God is so gracious and He is so good. And I think so many times we forget the gracious goodness of it. And that's why at Element, every week, we remind you in this thing that we call communion. Whether you take it at home or not, it's a reminder of what he has done that focuses back on the gospel. And if you are someone who needs prayer today, maybe you've been in a place where you feel like you're not filled with the Spirit, you don't have this unremitting joy, and you want to have God's Spirit swell up in you, and you want to be reminded of all the good news of what the gospel is, we'd love to pray with you. You know, because, because understanding a life of being filled with the Spirit, it's not a life that's out of control. It's a life that becomes authentic as we live in the ways that the Holy Spirit leads us. And if you need prayer, you can send a prayer request to prayer.element.org, connect at our element.org. You can put it on the side of the live stream if you're so inclined. But we want to be a people who come alongside and pray for one another because many times the Holy Spirit will use us in one another's life to remind one another of who he is and what he does. As we also are a people who give because God gave so much to us and so giving is simply part of our worship. You have the opportunity uh, actually any moment of any day. You can go to our website. Uh, you can send things to us. In a couple of weeks, you're going to start hearing about all the things we're supporting, especially through the month of December as COVID begins to continue going through uh, different things. But I'd also then want to say grab some sermon notes off the link tree and talk to one another about what truly being filled with the Spirit means about this refined life that comes back and understands God's great love for us, where we are in the spaces that we are, that we'd be a people who are so filled with the Spirit that we would walk through whatever comes our way, we'd be reminded of God's sovereignty and His goodness and His grace and that we'd be a people who are full of joy because the Holy Spirit has brought and given that to us by making the work of Christ real to every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, take us and have us be a people who remember the work of Christ, the, the work that you promised he would come and do. And Spirit, I ask that you would take the reality of what that means and you would so stimulate us in our hearts and our minds that we would see the good work of what Jesus has done to rescue us. 
that we would be a people who start to live these lives of stimulation and authenticity and joy because of what you remind us of. That we'd be a people, Spirit, who worship you in truth. That we'd understand the words of the scriptures better. And that we'd be those who begin to walk out in this world as people who are not afraid to be authentic. Not afraid to speak the truth about what we're going through or how we are feeling. And not afraid to speak of the truth and the good news of the gospel. And Jesus, we thank you for coming and loving and living and dying and rising from the grave for every single one of us. And as the triune God, we worship you for all that you do. Teach us to be a people who live out our lives in ways that bring you great glory. And we ask this in all of your names. Amen.